morning is from 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to pick up at the last little part of verse 2 and go through verse 10. We have been in Timothy now uh, for several months, and um, next week we'll finish the series on Timothy, and I want you to rest assured that although this week uh, his focus is on um, false teachers and on the poor, the Christian poor. Uh, next week, he will uh, talk about leaders, Timothy himself. It'll be very pointed towards Timothy, to the leaders in the church, and to the wealthy. So um, it is an interesting thing to have a text that you feel may even be picking on poor people. Um, but trust me, that's not at all what he is doing. Uh, as he closes this letter, he comes to what I think is the high point of the letter. He comes to this phrase here in verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And so the title of the message this morning is the contentment that we get from Easter. That Easter is a beautiful picture for humanity that God himself is content. What a wonderful thing. Heavenly, holy God who looks down at all of creation. He sees messes in a deeper way than we see any kind of mess. And at Easter, the Heavenly Father is content. So in the context here, the apostle has warned Timothy about his personal life. Uh, he has warned Timothy that there should be nothing about his personal life that causes other people to question his teaching. What is beautiful about it is, yes, there is a high standard for Timothy, but it is also not Timothy, you have to live as if you don't need Jesus. You have to live, Timothy, so upright that no one would think it possible that it was necessary for God to send his, his son to die for you, Timothy. No, it's not that. He says you need to point to it in all that you do. And uh, so this morning we are going to pick up after he has... Uh, talked about how to deal with widows and orphans and slaves. Uh, it's a beautiful picture of what the church should be. This variety of people. He gets to this point about the poor uh, and about false teachers. So, First uh, Timothy chapter six, verse two. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. 
grass withers and the flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. As you look at this text, and you probably wonder, uh, why did you divide the text up? Uh, those of you who are regulars know that I got kind of behind, and I have to be finished with Timothy next week because we're gone for the summer, and I'm like, I want to finish that book uh, so that we can start Romans in the fall, and we can have Psalms over the summer. Uh, so I had to look at it and, and, and kind of recut it up, and you wonder, what on earth do false teachers and the Christian poor have in common? What on earth do they have in common? Well, I figured it out. They're both tempted, the poor are tempted, and the false teachers rely on discontentment. Right? The poor are uh, tempted to be discontent with their life and consequently with God. A false teacher thrives in a church by breeding discontentment. Your pastor isn't doing a good job. Your church isn't welcoming to this. They ask too much of you. Uh, it, it's, it's too harsh, the restriction. Whatever it is, uh, they share this sense of discontentment. Think about this. There's a different way uh, that a poor person walks into a restaurant. right? If they walk in, it's a different restaurant that they would go to. Different car dealership they would go to. The false teacher promises to get them out of that. That's what we see here in our text. But for each of us, there is, in that sense, at the root of our being, we, we find ourselves saying there is this one thing that I have still yet to attain, that when I do, I will be content. Uh, you know, some of you know I was just in Colorado this last week, Burying my brother and having a wonderful time with my nieces and nephews. It was interesting. When I was coming out, one of my nieces told my, my other brother, who was still alive, I said, I know it's going to be hard for Uncle Mark to come out, but at least he gets to see us. <laughs> and he goes, when he sees us, he's going to be happy. And I was like, she nailed it. It's absolutely true. I, I, I love it that she knows that, that they know that, that there is this side of seeing them. But two of my nieces are getting married. Uh, pretty soon. Well, one's engaged. One's probably going to be engaged. Um, and there is in this engagement time, this once I'm married, uh, that thing is going to bring great joy forever. It's the thing I was waiting for. It's the thing I was searching for. You don't even have to be a Christian to think that way. In our world, there's tons of TV shows about that, isn't it? Finding that person. When you find that person, when you get that match, let's find that match. And when I get that match, then that's the thing that's been missing. And then you get married and you realize, oh no, I married someone that's like me. <laughs> so the next thing, when we have a child, that child, it's, oh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to bring us back together. And, and, and we figured this out. We're going to raise our child way better than we were raised. We're not going to do this, this, this. And then you have a child, and you're like, oh, no. I had a child. That is worse than me. I told my wife, you can only breed so much out, honey. You married a Kuiper. You know, don't get your hopes up. But there is that thing. And so Timothy is saying, uh, Timothy, you are to teach these things. That's how the text starts. These things, Timothy. 
And this whole letter has been over and over two really important things that he tells Timothy. You're, you're in charge of the church in Ephesus, Timothy. Uh, you've got to put elders up there in place. But Timothy, you have to stay true to the apostolic teaching. You have to stay true to the teaching that Jesus gave, that we read about in the Gospels in the New Testament. Timothy, you have these sound words. We do creeds up here. Uh, there is a lot of proof that the New Testament church had a various forms of creeds. Sometimes when you read your New Testament, you'll see indentations in the text. And you wonder, what is that? Why is the editor or the translator doing that? Because he is pointing out that these were things that the church would recite. And some of you know that when you see the little fish symbol. right? You see the little fish symbol on the car. Right? You've seen that and you, and you wonder what that means. You know, you look at it and you think, that means if I'm a Christian, I have to get my roof done by these folks because they have a little fish on their thing. Or my body shop, it's got a fish, that means something's good. The fish was actually an early creed. Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. Each of those five letters in ichthus, sometimes I'll have that written out there in the Greek. That was an early creed. So Timothy is told by Paul, these things you've got to teach and urge these things. It is important, vitally important. This morning, when we celebrate on the Christian calendar the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is an important doctrine. Christianity falls if the resurrection is not true. The resurrection is not true. If Christ was not raised from the dead, the apostles say, then we are still in our sin, and we of all people are in the worst shape. The resurrection doesn't just point out that sins were forgiven. The punishment of Christ. Right? We, anybody who knows much about Christianity knows that, that, that there's some connection between the punishment of him on a cross. We talk about lambs. Supposedly that's connected to the Old Testament. Uh, all of these things were supposed to prefigure. So they were supposed to be ready for it. Uh, his, his, his death is, is somehow, uh, Christians look at that and say, okay, he has suffered in my place. I believe that he is my substitute. And, and growing up in a church my whole life, I understood that part of it. It was an amazing thing for me as a little kid to think I can, I can trust that he forgave my sins. But the resurrection, what that does it says that not just sins are forgiven, but we are accepted. Not just, not just my, my slate has been wiped clean, but, but, but now, united with Him in faith, I, I receive this wonderful welcome from the Father. Not as just someone who just, man, you just, you just got out by the skin of your teeth. No, but as someone who is delighted in. For Christ didn't stay in the grave. He, he, he rose from the dead. He sits at the Father's side. And the Scriptures say He now intercedes for us. And I believe that. It is crucial to the Christian faith. Because if it didn't happen, then Jesus was a martyr. He was a liar. And, and His twelve disciples did the best they could to cover that story unto the grave. But it wasn't just the disciples. The scriptures say there were 500 other people that attested to it. So it's interesting this morning that we look at these warnings concerning false teachers. The heart of this text tells us that godliness with contentment is of great gain. Godliness with contentment. So if you are a believer in Christ, if you are a Christian, that should be your goal. 
What is my goal as a Christian? Is it to learn more? Is it to be better? Is it to move up the ladder in leadership? It's to be godly and content. Now, we may be, I'm not sure of this, I'm not a historian, but we may be the most discontented generation ever. It is hard for us to be content about anything. The amount of hair we have, the color of said hair, the hair being curly, the hair being straight, the hair coming out of the nose, the hair going on top of the ears. I mean, we could go on and on about everything that we are discontented with. Our culture runs on it. Our social media is populated by it. All the influencers are, if you could just look like me, you would be happy like me. If you just had what I had, if you just drove what I drove, if you just graduated from where I graduated, whatever it is, we are a discontented people. And maybe the greatest witness of the church would be to be content and godly. And so that's what the sermon's about this morning. He starts in verses 2 to 5 with a warning concerning false teachers. Timothy, teach and earn, uh, urge these things. Now, at the background of this entire letter, I said he has been talking about false teachers. In chapter 1, he said they're false teaching concerning the law. They, 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 they take the law of God and they teach it in a wrong way. In, in chapter 4, they're false teaching creating, uh, concerning creation and material things. And now their false teaching concerning what I would say is gain, the word gain. Uh, not just money, but gain. How do I gain? You know, that's just a perfect word, isn't it? Gain. Doesn't mean how do I achieve, how do I arrive. There's always a sense of wanting a bit more with gain, right? You've heard me talk about better homes and gardens. Right, that magazine that comes and has all these beautiful pictures of flowers and homes and stuff. It's not called Best Homes and Gardens because then you'd be done. You've got to make your home just a little better. Right? This kitchen is so old. Everything works, honey. Yeah, but look at the colors. But it works. Right? My fishing rod works, but look at this new one. Right? Anyway, better. It's a, this idea of gain. Um, that's what he's talking to them about. And we have it today, right? False teachers infiltrate the church. And what do they do? They attack the law of God. They raise the discontentment amongst people, amongst God believers concerning the law of God. They call into question every teaching that would cause you discomfort, every teaching that would make you humble yourselves, every teaching that might restrict your freedoms. Giving, sexual freedoms, plans of salvation, denial of judgment, denial of hell, denial of roles, gender, and authority. It's under attack today, all the time. A false teacher comes in and says, let me reinterpret the law of God, because he's much nicer than you thought. They come in concerning creation, its origin, its value, its future. If God is not the creator and the stainer of the universe, he has no right over us. If he is, he has every right over us. Uh, and they have false teaching concerning gain. Uh, it's not come to Jesus. He is the thing that you need. It's come to Jesus and he will give you the thing that you need. Come to him 
for your wealth, for your security. For, come to him for those things, not come to him because he in himself is enough. And so the, the apostle says to Timothy, I, I'm, I'm about to close this letter, but I've got to warn you again about false teachers. Here's what they teach. They deviate from the truth. So a false teacher in the church is like a parasite that lives off something healthy, uses terms, and, and is even in their midst here. It's in their midst, Timothy, in your church. You've got to be watched. They'll, they'll rise up, and they will deviate from sound teaching. Sound teaching, verses 1 to 3. It's called the teaching. Verse 3, sound words. Verse 5, the truth. Verse 10, 12, 21, the faith. Verse 14, the command. Verse 20, what you have been entrusted. Can he make it any clearer? Timothy, it is vitally important that you hold on to the doctrines of the church. It is not a bad word. You hold on to the doctrines and the theology. And make sure it is sound. More so than what the coffee tastes like when someone comes to visit. More so than if your kids have fun at youth camp. Make sure that what is taught is sound. It is right. It is true. So he says that, that their teaching is not sound. And secondly, their teaching does not promote godliness. But instead, it produces division. He says that in verse 4. They have a depraved mind. A depraved, that, that word means uh, I can't distinguish between what is right and what is wrong. A depraved mind. It is a curse. Uh, you've met people at times or you've read about people at times that seemingly can do awful things that even non-Christian people would say that's an awful thing and yet not feel bad about it. There's definitely different levels of depravity, but he says these teachers, they're depraved in their mind. They don't have a, a grasp of what is right and wrong. Why? Because they have been deprived of the truth. They're depraved in their mind because they're deprived of the truth, and they create vision. He says here they, they're conceited, they're ignorant, they're unhealthy in their interest of controversy, and they quarrel about what? About words. Now I drive you all crazy, I know, talking about the word adoption. Right? Roll your eyes, he's going to talk about people and their pets again. We don't adopt pets. We buy pets. That word is important to me. Adoption. Right? It, it's, just, it's an important concept. They argue about words. Did God really mean this? Does his word really say that? Is there some way we can change the meaning of the words of Scripture to make it just easier for us? They argue about words. And their teaching, he says, results in five things. There are five things that happen when a false teacher takes root in a church or a community of believers. First is envy. Right? And envy makes sense. Right? If you're going to promote that, that Jesus is here to give you the things that you need, then you will create a sense of envy in your church. Envy, I would say envy is the most accepted sin in our nation. In fact, some people can't believe it's a sin. I've read people who say, pride is a sin? Aren't we supposed to have pride? How can pride be a sin? Forget about that. Envy is accepted amongst everyone. We start with it when we're training our kids. 
We're going to get Jojo here a bicycle. Oh, wait, if I get Jojo a bicycle, then I got to get Sissy a bicycle because Sissy's going to be mad and say it's not fair. Even if I say, no, Sissy, that's envy. Repent. She ain't going to get it. So to keep Sissy from crying and taunting us names, let's get Sissy a bicycle too. It's not Sissy's birthday. She don't know that. She don't care. It's not her birthday. It ain't fair. Envy. A false teacher promotes envy. It spreads this gospel out. Look around you. You see the people who have this? Jesus wants you to have this. Let's follow me and we'll take you to have this thing. They promote envy. It's one of the reasons that uh, splits happen. Discontentment, even discontentment theologically, produces envy. The second thing produces dissension, it says. You know, uh, beware non-denominational church. Beware. I'm not saying they're all evil. Please don't hear me say that. But beware. What are you teaching that's so different that you can't align yourself with another body of believers for oversight? What? What? You know, sometimes someone tells me we're non-denominational in some proud way, like we're we're the pure church. We're non-denominational, and I just want to say, no, you're not. You're your own denomination. You've decided that what we hold is a truth that doesn't connect with anybody else and nobody else, no other bodies of the faith should have any kind of oversight. Dissension, slander, that's what they produce. Ill-founded accusations. Here's why we're better. Evil suspicions. Evil suspicions, the fruit of false teaching. Our fellowship of God's people is to be built on trust and transparency. I love it that we have an elder stand up here and say, I need Jesus, I need him to cleanse me, not just the day I was born, not just the day I was born again, but every moment. I'm a sinner, saved by grace. Not I was a sinner, saved by grace. I am a sinner, saved by grace. Evil suspicions. And lastly, this fruit that he lists here anyway is this constant friction. They're irritable and they're searching for ways to feel wrong. They preach a deviant truth that promotes division. Why? In verse 5, it's because they see it as a means of gain. They see it somehow a means of gain. I've often thought, why don't they just leave? You know, in our denomination, we are having a a struggle right now at the... uh, at the General Assembly level, at the national level, we're having a struggle. Um, and there is deviant theology. And I think, why don't you just leave? <laughs> um, why do you want to stay? There, there's plenty of other denominations that will allow you to teach this or teach that or be this or be that. Um, for some reason here, he says, they see their teaching as a mean of gain, means of gain. And again, it's beautiful that the disciples didn't see it as a means of gain. The disciples suffered and struggled. Uh, The thing that they want here is maybe it's money or power, prestige, some sign of significance. You have to ask yourself, are they serving the body of Christ or do they expect the body of Christ to serve them? Will they suffer for their truth? Beware the false teachers, Timothy, in your midst. What does that mean for us? I think for us it it means whenever you hear teaching that is supposed to be Christian or from the Bible, you ask yourself, 
Is it compatible with what the apostles taught? Is it some new thing that someone has just now found out? Some new revelation? Or is it compatible with what the apostles taught? Paul is telling Timothy that. Timothy, it's first century. Don't you stray at all from what you've been taught. Two, does it unite or divide the church? And three, does it promote godliness with contentment? We'll come back to verse 6 in the end. Beware false teachers. And then he has instructions for the poor, verses 6 to 10. Now, there are two types of poor that he lists in this text. Um, There's more than that in the world, but in this text, he is talking about two kinds of poor. First of all, he is addressing the Christian poor. It's important to remember that. He's, He's addressing the Christian poor. It is good and right for the church as a whole to help the poor and the needy, the wayward and the orphan and the widow and all of that, but they have a special relationship with the Christian poor. There's two types of poor listed here. There is the contented poor, and there is the discontented poor. Verses 7 and 8, he is addressing the contented Christian poor. If you have your Bible, look there at verse 7 and 8, and I want to tell you that this is, this is to be the normal Christian life. might be bad news for some of you. But the normal Christian life is to be content with what you eat and what you wear and where you live. To be content. doesn't mean you're to be an ascetic and not like anything of beauty, but it means you, you don't find your worth, your value, your drive in something better to wear, something better to drive, someplace better to live. The normal Christian life is a life of contentment, not a life of the next best thing that I need to acquire. And he says to you, you have learned this lesson. You came into the world with nothing and you go out of the world with nothing. Job says when he is suffering tremendous loss, Job lost more than any of us here probably have ever lost. Family, and wealth and health and he sits in, a, in, in the dust and he has a broken piece of pottery to scratch his sores and he says naked did I come and naked will I go may God be praised the contented poor verse 7 we brought nothing in we take nothing out if we have food clothing with these we will be content Now, I feel absolutely hypocritical saying that to you because I personally wrestle with that all the time. In fact, my dad was a preacher, and I didn't want to be a preacher. You know why? Because we had the worst car in the church. We had a house that the church bought for us. I've told you about that. There was a Christmas where everybody got motorcycles, and I got some clothes. It's the worst thing for a little boy. Don't ever buy a little boy clothes. Just don't get him anything. (laughs) Discontentment. It has been this hallmark sin of mine. As a pastor, I was discontent. We'd have a wonderful youth trip. As a youth pastor, we'd have a wonderful youth trip. It was just, you'd see this great and lasting fruit among kids. And in my mind, I'm like, how can I make it better next year? Maybe next year we'll have more kids. 
And I was thinking that, that that's the thing. Success. A new home, a nicer car, an amazing wife, obedient kids. That's the thing. And you go to Jesus, please give me that thing. And all along, he's saying, you've got me. You've got me. The, 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 the contented poor is an example for us as Christians. Now, again, this text doesn't stand just by itself. right? Christians are to be the hardest workers. Christians are blessed with wealth. But Christians, when they are blessed with anything in abundance, they're, they're, the mind isn't, I've got to hold on to it, I've got to collect it, I've got to have just a bit more than that person over there or my brother or someone I graduated college with. No, they're Christian as I've been, in, I've been entrusted to this. How, how, how can I increase my joy by sharing? Right? After church, we're going to go to a beautiful place. Right? Sheffield's home, and it's always open. Lord blesses you with a big home. Some nasty kids. No, just kidding. They're, <laughs> they're, they're my favorite. Uh, anyway, you share it. Right? You get this great joy in sharing. I've learned so much from wealthy people because I've found it hard to accept gifts at times. I felt like it's my turn to pay. I should do this. And they're like, hey, man, we, we, we love this. God's given this to us to share. The contented poor. So that's really, the, that's really what the Christian should look like. Uh, in, in 1980, the Luzanne Conference on, on World Evangelization came up with this statement. <clears throat> this is before the minimalist lifestyle was cool. We resolved to renounce waste and oppose extravagance in personal living, clothing and housing, travel and church buildings. We also accept the distinction between necessities and luxuries, creative hobbies and empty status symbols. Oh, modesty and vanity, occasional celebrations and normal routine. And between the service of God and slavery to fashion, where to draw the line requires conscientious thought and decisions by us together with members of our family. The contented Christian poor, a free person from the slave to materialism and greed. And then he speaks to the discontented, the covetous Christian poor. Verses 9 and 10, those are common to us. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. But he says those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation, into a snare, the many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. We have seen that in our world. And we think that we could, we, we could have all those riches and not worry about the side effect. Um, lastly, I want to talk about verse 6. I call this the thing behind the thing. Verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. The love of money is a root that causes evil. Godliness with contentment is a great gain. This is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a reality, whether you feel it or not, that we have this great gain in Christ. Some of you may have grown up with a person whose opinion of you mattered most. If I could just make dad happy, if I could just make mom happy, if I could just make the coach happy, the teacher happy, my professor happy. 
I just wanted to hear those words. Good job. I'm proud of you. The beauty of the gospel, the wonder of Christ's resurrection, is God's content with you as a believer. Whatever crowd or family you run in and whatever thing it's still dangling out there for you to achieve, the beauty of our gospel, the power of it in, in changing us from greedy hoarders to generous givers. <laughs> New favorite kid. <laughs> the power is in the words of God the Father. Here is my son. In him I am well pleased. And the words of the son. It is finished. His work on our behalf is finished. I just want to point out one more verse about contentment. Because as we talk about false teachers, the poor, um, and discontentment. Philippians 4, 10 to 13 may be the most misquoted passage in all of Scripture, and I want you just to be aware of it. Paul writes to the church in Philippi, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So Paul, on his missionary journeys, the church in Philippi had sent a gift of money and clothing and food for him. And then in verse 11, he says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So that's the context. I appreciate your gift, but I'm content. Something I learned. I didn't just feel it. It didn't just happen. I have learned it. In verse 12, I, I know how to be brought low. Oh, he was beaten and flogged and left for dead. And how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and facing hunger. I've learned the secret of having abundance and being in need. And here comes the verse. Here's the secret. Here's what he has learned. I can do all of these things. What are the things he's talking about? I can be content. The same with a lot of money or no money. With great health and no health. This is the secret I've learned. I can do these things. I can be content in these things because it is Christ who strengthens me. That verse has been twisted and completely taken out and even cut into smaller parts. You know, it hurt me just bust on people with that. It, it doesn't say, God came here so I can do all things. Right? Jesus came from the dead. And when he came from the dead, he created a bunny to give us all things. That's not what happened. When Jesus came from the dead, he said, it's finished. Now awaits for you all that I have earned. Now awaits for you to walk into my Father's presence and not present all that you have done, but to present Christ. That is the beauty of our gospel. Godliness, contentment. That is our goal, and that is the promise of our gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you that you know us. You knit us together, but you also know us in our fallen state. You know that, Father, we need constant reminder 
that before you we are enough because of Christ. Father, I pray that we would be contented people, not lazy people, but a deep contentment to know that with you, things are good. With you, things are right. And that that would take such a deep root in us that we, along with the Apostle Paul, would know what it means to have plenty and to be in want. To be sick and to be healthy. Have people think great of us and people think terrible things of us. And in the midst of that, we would be able to say, of course I am able to be content. I am able to go to worship because it is Christ who strengthens me. Oh Lord, we thank you for this sacrament that you, Jesus, knew your disciples and you knew us. You knew we would need to be reminded over and over again that you were sufficient in both areas of our greatest need, that your blood has flowed to cleanse us of our sin and your body worked wonders in perfect and holy living to receive love adoration and praise from the Father. May we now take these elements, celebrate your death and your resurrection. May you, Holy Spirit, work the truths of your gospel in us, that we too would be amazed that that we are able to show contentment when things are great and when things are not so great. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.